Good morning, everybody. You are a Gabby bunch. You do love to uh, fellowship, let's put it that way. I'm so glad you're all here. We got a ring. So, <laughs> you know, it's too bad you guys don't like each other. I'm just saying. It's good to be with you all this morning. God bless you for being here this morning. And for many people have asked about my surgeries for my back. Yes, I'm wearing three new pieces of hardware in my spine. God is good. I'm standing up, doing well, trying to stay out of trouble. I could do it. <laughs> Anyways, this morning we're in the book of Acts. And we're going to continue on from where Jeff started last week. You know, I just want to say one thing. You know, many of us have the electronic Bibles or the, the Bibles in the pews. And by the way, if you need a Bible and the Bibles are in the pews in, in the, under the seats in front of you, please feel free to grab those and take them home if you need one. If you don't have one, one of the things about having your own personal paper Bible like this is the fact that you can write in it. You can make notes in it. You can take it home and study with it and everything else. Because during this study, especially in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is amazing. The book of Acts is the Acts is the book where all of the stuff that started the church for us, all of the stuff that brings us here today is, is in this book. This is where it all, we're going to read about how it all started in the next few months. And I just, I, I want to be excited about the book of Acts because it's such a book of action. It's such a book of, of the, and last week Jeff was talking and, and he Open the book of Acts for us. And as he said, he said, sometimes this could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, the apostles really couldn't do anything. And nobody could have gotten anything accomplished. So as, we, as he opened it and he gave us verses 1 through 12, a couple of points I just want to do in recap. Because there's a couple of things that are going to lead us to help us understand our study today. In the eighth verse of the first chapter, when Jesus makes a promises, he, he, will, he, will tell, he tells us, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's letting us know that we're never, we never have to feel alone, weak, or powerless. And it says you will receive power. It's not, well, if, if, you know, you're standing in the right place and if you give enough money and if you dress the way you're supposed to, if you have all of the things in you that, that churchgoers are supposed to have, then you can receive power. That's not what he said. You see, the moment that believers gather together and open their hearts and minds up to the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. Amen? Amen. Oh, I like that. Thank you. That was good. And we and we when he says that you you will you will receive this powers, we were never alone when he does that. The whole Holy Spirit is the power itself from heaven. It's sent to us who believe in the name of Jesus. And the next part of the statement that Jesus makes in the second half of verse 8 is even bigger. And he says, And you will be my witnesses. Not a, not a, hey, you could be my witnesses if I like the way that, that you talk and the way if you pray enough and if you stand enough and if you go to church enough. No, you have the chance to be my witnesses. 
You have the chance to be the ones to proclaim the everlasting eternal message of salvation in Jesus Christ. You have the ability to share stuff with people that they don't understand. I mean, would you agree with me that today our world has a trouble understanding who Jesus really is? Would you, I mean, do we, do we agree that not only do we have trouble understanding who Jesus is, but even believing in his name? You see, the, the enemy of our hearts, the one who, who, from the very beginning, decided that he was going to destroy everything that God loves and nothing God loves more than his creation in this room. And when he gave us this and the enemy comes down and he wants to, wants to destroy us and take us down and everything, Jesus says, no, 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 you will have power from the Holy Spirit and then you will be my witnesses. In other words, when he says, when the creator of the world, God Almighty says, you will have and you will be, guess what? There's no enemy that can stand against us. There's nothing that can stop us from being who God wants us to be if we have a couple of things that we're going to talk about in a minute. And after that, then Jesus went up into the heavens in verse 9. And he, it says he went out of their sight. Now, men... I hate to tell you this, but men, when something has your attention and you think it's very cool and stuff and Jesus goes up into the sky, there they all stood. Now, I'm not saying that men follow squirrels much. <laughs> See, I'm a guy, I can say these things, but boys, sometimes we get distracted and we don't realize it. So God, every once in a while, has to get our attention. Boys, would you agree with me? Say amen. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad you're all honest. Bless God. It's a good thing, because I'd hate for you to sit in church and lie. But anyway, and after that, didn't Jesus says, Jesus, he went up on the other side. Two men all of a sudden show up alongside him, and they're standing next to him going like this to him and go, um, gentlemen, why are, why are you stargazing? What are you looking at? Why are you standing here doing this? It's almost as if God had to get their attention and say, boys, don't you have somewhere you're supposed to be? And all of a sudden, it, then it says, uh, we get to verse 12. And it says, then, in other words, it was like a, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know, what we, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be, yeah, we got it, we're, we're good. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Man, Mount of Olives, or the Mount of Olivet, if your scripture may say that. A Sabbath day's journey, which means that it's like over about two-thirds of a mile, a little over half of a mile, took maybe 40 to 50 minutes. But the interesting part about this is how this verse starts, then. You see, once God gets their attention, there is no, all of a sudden, well, what should we do next? You know, they weren't walking in circles, wondering where to go and how to be and what to do. Soon as they got their attention back, focused on God and who he is, what was the first thing they did? They took the step. They said, oh yeah, we got to be in Jerusalem. They didn't hesitate, didn't slow down, didn't wonder what it was they were supposed to be. So their apostles are looking in the sky. They're stargazing as to be looking for more for Jesus. And then God sends these two messengers and says, boys, don't you have some place to be? And then when it says, then they got their attention back to earth as if it was the apostles realized what they were doing, where they needed to be, and what was needed next. No instructions from the men are recorded. No loud announcement from heaven. 
Once they got their wits about them, they were like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Then they picked up their stuff and they went to Jerusalem. They returned immediately. There was no question, no fear, no confusion, and never a disagreement between them on what was needed. Because the next verse then says, they returned to Jerusalem where they were staying. Now you realize what's happened here is Jesus, the first thing that we find out is that when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us right after that in, all, in three of the four Gospels, it says they were scattered. They just all went home and hid because what they didn't realize was, well, the guards, the Roman centurions could be coming after us next. So they hid. But where did they go? They went to the place that was safe. Once they all gathered, once the women went to the tomb, found it empty, came back, found all the apostles and said, gentlemen, hey, Peter, the angel said, you guys have to go and get ready because Jesus is going to come back and talk to you and give you the power and everything else. So they knew what they were doing then. So the first time Jesus left, they were a little scared, right? They had to go hide after the crucifixion because they weren't sure what was going to happen next. Here's the interesting thing about this time when he leaves. They weren't no afraid. There was no fear this time. This time they knew where they had to be because they knew something was coming. They expected God to move in a mighty and powerful way. It was not a, it was not a, well, what are we going to do? Oh, no, he left again. Now what do we do? Now this time it was he left and they picked up their stuff and got in the upper room and said, Woo, here we go. It's going to start. Something's going to happen. If Joshua was up here, he'd be jumping up and down. I can't do what he does when he preaches. But anyways, he's got a few years under me. Anyway, so when they expected God to move, they were in this room and they knew something was going to happen. And I, and I harp on this because I want you to know two things about this part. What was needed for them to face, Jesus leaving again was already in them this time. Even though the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, the Spirit of God that was in them was telling them that something amazing is about to heaven. God is with me. I have no fear because I can do what God wants me to do. And when they went, they, the, the place where the events that took place after his death that changed their faith in amazing ways, that's the room they went to. The place where they knew that when they were afraid, Jesus came to them. With no hesitation, they went straight to the upper room. How many of you seen a movie with Miss Clara? And she talks about a room in her house, doesn't she? The war room. You see, when you read this part of the verse here, you're looking at the apostles' war room. They knew that they had to be together to start this because they knew where to reach and reach out to the power of God. Do any of you have a war room in your house or a place that you go so that you can be by yourself and that a place where you can just say, God, today I'm, I'm not feeling it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired, Lord. I love Brad's testimony this morning because he's absolutely right. We have a Savior that is relentless. And yes, those of us on the earth would call it reckless 
because he searches for us no matter whether we want or not. When we start to look up to heaven and ask for his name and call upon his name, all of a sudden now, yes, he is reckless and relentless to come after us. And I'm so grateful. Because remember, I was the goofy kid on the west side of Long Beach that grew up doing things that a 12, 13, and 14-year-old shouldn't be doing. Almost died twice, overdosed once. But God still decided, no, you have to stay alive, dummy, no matter how much you keep doing stuff to yourself. You have to stay alive. And I didn't know why, you know. I mean, I'm getting the picture now. I'm 66, so 50 years later, I'm starting to understand a little bit. Hey, Bill, you've got a job to do. See, back then, Jesus was preparing me for everything that I would needed to be and needed to do. I didn't know it. None of you today here can understand, and you may not be doing the thing that God wants you to do because of maybe your choices, or maybe you haven't heard him yet because you're not listening, or maybe because there's not enough time spending in the war room or the war place, wherever that is. I have a friend who goes to a parking lot, overlooks the Balboa Bay, and he loves to get up there and, and talk to God. We have to understand that any time that we sit down, hold our place, stand still, and let God do his magic in our hearts, amazing things are going to happen. And we're going to see how that worked in just a minute. Because once they got up there, it says that all the, the 11 apostles were there. Not one of them did not go. They all went to the upper room. They all gathered in one place at one time. There was only 11 of them now because of what Judas did, and as Peter says, because Judas went his own way, which is a very kind way of saying Judas betrayed, betrayed Jesus and then killed himself, and later on we'll get to hear a little bit about the field that he died in. But now, and I could tell you stories of each of the 11 apostles. Where Marcel and I were talking today about two of the apostles, Bartholomew and Thomas, who actually started the Armenian Apostolic Church in Armenia. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of really great stories about the apostles. Unfortunately, you don't want to stay here today for four hours, so Jeff says I have to stay within my time limit. So here we go. We're going to behave a little bit and try to understand something. There are so many things in this scripture that can come out. There's stories, there's history, there's, there's all kinds of moments that we could attach everything that we're going through right now. We could attach all of those moments to what people of this day were going through. That's what the scripture is for. For us to understand that even the people of the first century were still going through all of the same things that we do. And the next part of this verse in scripture says this. It says in, in verse 14, they had a single purpose. And in your, in your bulletin there, you're going to see all this. I, I forgot to tell you that it's inside the bulletin is this guideline. I just filled in the blanks for you so you don't have to write or anything because we want to talk about the Word of God this morning in such a manner that I wanted to take it in. The next part says they were all with one mind, with one accord. Now, in the original language, the hearers, the people of, who are, are of the day, they would have heard this a, a different kind of way than us, but of the same message. They were of one mind, with no personal sympathy for themselves or worrying about anything for themselves. But they had a material interest, a very strong interest in working together with one purpose. 
And what the, provokes this common bond and purpose comes from a power outside of themselves. All that is the definition of what it means to be in one accord. That it comes from a power outside of themselves, the power of God working in each individual to join together in witnessing to the world the true love of God. This is where the reckless part comes in. Because now he's saying that, yeah, I'm still going to be there. You call upon my name. I'm going to search for you and come after. And what were they doing in verse 14? They were devoting themselves to prayer in the next part. When it says devoting themselves, I mean, we think that's a very good thing in today's world. And when it says they're devoting themselves, it means the devotion is so deep that they never stop. Again, the original readers heard something different. They were persistent in praying without ceasing. To them, to us, to God, prayer is the opening. It's the gate to opening God's power within us. Please know that. When we pray, we call on God the Father and giving him glory and place our trust, our hope, our fears with our surrender to his will. He can work in and through us. Because you'll notice that all the way through the book of Acts, the first thing God does is set things up around them, each individual who's going to, whether it's Peter, Paul, Thomas, any of the, Philip, Bartholomew, any of those that get to work in, in God's kingdom, what he does is get everything ready for them, works in them at the same time, and then all of a sudden he clicks the button, flips the switch, and says, go get them. Okay, that's my paraphrase, but it literally says go. But the get them part is for me because that's the exciting part for Bill. When people come together and pray in one accord, the Holy Spirit moves in mighty ways. Amen? That's when the Holy Spirit gets up and gets going. And then the second half of verse 14 says, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. <laughs> It's real tempting not to go off on that tangent. Many people ask me about this part of the scripture. And again, we can go into this deeper later, just like about the stories of all the apostles. But Jesus had half siblings who were born after Jesus was born. All told, and then it tells us that all total in the upper room was 120 people. So you realize there's probably the same number that's in this room, the disciples. I call them the disciples. See, there's, the apostles are the ones who were specifically called by Jesus. If you're ever wondering what the difference between the two is. The apostles were the one that Jesus says, come on, let's go. When he told Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Let's hit it. And Jesus took the, 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 the 12 apostles himself. All of the others... He calls his disciples because the disciples are the learners, are the students. The disciples are the ones that, like us, that are going to take his message, his word, his spirit, and we're going to go out and we're going to tell the world of the amazing love of God. And then I love verse 15. I love verse 15. It says, Peter stood up. You know, I'm kind of different in the way that I look at the Word of God because I look for all these little incidences that mean so much. Because remember the last time we saw Peter, 
he wasn't doing very well. There's only one recording of any of the called apostles denying who Jesus, knowing who Jesus was, and then repeating that denial three times. Can you imagine being in the room in there and all of a sudden Peter stands up, right? I can just see James and John looking at each other going, really, now what does he want now? You know? But not one of them would have said that if they remembered a certain incident on the Sea of Tiberias. See, in John, <laughs> in John there's, a, there's a recording. After Jesus was crucified, the apostles were out fishing on the Sea of Tiberias. They didn't catch anything. But as they were coming back and coming into shore, a figure on land yelled out to them, hey, are you having any... No, we didn't catch anything. He says, throw your nuts on the other side. And they probably thought, yeah, okay. And then they it all of a sudden dawned on wait, whoa, we've heard this before. The last time we heard this. So they threw their nets on the other side of the boat. When they did, they caught a ton of fish. And all of a sudden, John looks up and yells and says, it is the Lord. Now remember, Jesus has been crucified. He's already appeared to them in the upper room. But now, as they're fishing, it is the Lord. So what does Peter do? <laughs> typical Peter. He throws off his outer garment, jumps into the water and says, I'm here, Jesus is there, I'm leaving right now, let's go find Jesus. He doesn't mess around, he gets on it and he gets it. Now to make this part short, all of a sudden they all get to shore, everybody's there and they get there and there's fish on the barbie. Everybody's having a good time, it's about time for some fish and chips with Jesus. So they're going to have a great time as they're lounging after dinner. Peter and Jesus are a little separated, Right? Jesus looks at Peter, remember what he says? Do you love me? Peter says, well, yes, I love you. A few minutes goes by and Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And, and again, Jesus says to him, but then feed my sheep. And then the third time when he says it, Peter, do you love me? Now this has really disappointed Peter because the whole answer changes language in the original group. It's not just a love, it's the love of, he says, you know all things. You know how much I love you. You know how much I care. You know what I would do anything for you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Three times. How many denial times? Three times. Jesus making a point saying to him, yes, you denied me three times in front of others, but I'm letting you know right now, not only do I forgive you, but when I told you two years ago that you were going to be the rock that I build my church, I want you to become that now. This is the moment, Peter. It's commissioning time. This is the moment when Peter realizes he looks into Jesus' eyes and the thought doesn't scare him, doesn't anything else. He just says, you know that I love you and will do all things for you. At this point in time, that's what we call the commissioning of Peter. That's the amazing part of what's happened here is because all the apostles, when Peter stands up in Acts 1.15 and Peter stands up, gets ready to address them, nobody questions, nobody says, why are you standing up? Who do you think you are or anything else? Because guess what? 
they all witnessed the commissioning. And I can just picture again, James and John looking over there and going, oh, I don't want to be over there. Because not everybody is not afraid of that commissioning. So when Peter stood up, the apostles knew they needed to listen. But even amazing, this is Peter's first answer to the commissioning in God's kingdom leadership that Jesus personally gave him. And what's even more amazing, because Jesus would, had been with Jesus, I mean, Peter had been with Jesus for three years, all of a sudden, Peter started giving instructions according to the scriptures. Now, we're talking about an uneducated fisherman. Now, all of a sudden, he's giving instruction and preaching the word of God. The uneducated fisherman, after three years of Jesus' teaching, is now a teacher of the scripture. He stepped up to the call. Without even thinking about it, he just knew that we had to do something about this. And we'll find out in just a second what it was. But he stood up. The scripture says, then Peter stood up. Peter didn't think about it. He didn't wonder. He just knew what he had to do. He knew there was something he had to step in. Here's my question for you today. If God has given you something to do, are you standing up? Are you taking that step? Are you going to step forward? And, and ladies and gentlemen, it does not have to be to stand up and preach. It does not have to be to go out and, and evangelize the world or anything. It could be something as simple as, hey, let's join one of the ministries, the women's ministry at the church and see if we can be encouragement. Let's join, let's go find out how we can help Sherry with the kids. Hey, let's go find out what we can do in the care ministry. Let's go find out if there's a tug on your heart for you to step into God's service to help others and then let people know who God is, ladies, you will not have peace in your hearts, minds, or souls until you answer that call. Take it from one who knows. You're looking at a very reluctant convert. I looked at Buddhism, Baha'ism, and everything else, all the Eastern religions and everything else, trying to figure out who God was because the whole fact that Jesus rising from the dead was a different thing for me. And then the more research that I did into it, the more times that I looked in all of the books that back up the Bible, there's over 2,500 volumes of books that back up the Bible that are not part of the Bible. And 90% of those 2,500 were written by people who never believed in Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to worry about proving God's true or who God is. That's already done for us. All we got to do is when he calls us to go do something, we answer the call without thinking about it. And then we can find peace. Sometimes we struggle in such a way we don't know why. I mean, there are many times we don't know why. It's hard to concentrate. Where it's hard to stay focused. We feel like something is missing. We get so discouraged and so dependent that at some point in time we say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender. It's like it's the last, and come on, raise your hands, everybody knows. The last point that you do is the last thing we ever want to do is just say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender. Just don't send me to like the desert. Or... Because that's what we do. We're afraid that he's going to do that. No, he may be calling you to just do something as simple. We have a ministry in the care ministry. I just need people to just send cards or make phone calls. 
We have a member that's in the care ministry that if I give him names and numbers to call, Ben, he's on it, he makes reports, he calls me back, okay, who's next? You see, we, we have caring people who care that just take the step when they are called. And see, when Peter stood up, the first task at hand was to bring the number of apostles, and we're going now back to verse um, 15, 16. Because now Peter is, is saying, hey guys, Jesus called 12 men to be these apostles. We only have 11. We have to get back to the 12 that Jesus had originally called. Because he quotes Psalm 109, verse 8, and he says, let, him, let him, another take his office. He's using the scriptures. <laughs> Peter the fisherman is using the scriptures to teach the apostles and the other disciples about what it takes for them to obey the word of God. Then we realize one big thing. Qualifying a new apostle had some restrictions. Peter let everyone know in verses 21 and 22. He said, we have parameters that we need to use to find God's anointed one for this position. Look at number six on your outline right there. Because it says this. It's, as, you, as you look at number six, he had to be present with all the apostles from the time of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist until his resurrection and his ascension. There in verse 21 and 22. Two candidates were chosen. You had Joseph called Barsabbas, and then you had Matthias. So they knew it was between these two men because they were probably the two of the only men that were qualified all the way from the beginning to Jesus' ascension. And instead of saying, oh, here we go, we'll just pick one. They didn't pick their best friend. They didn't pick the one that looked the best or acted the best or had the most money or anything else. That's not what they did. They didn't make the decision to do that. The first thing they did was pray. And when they prayed, they prayed very specifically. They knew it was between these two men. The very next thing to do, they were in one accord and they prayed. Before a decision was made, they left it in God's hands. And in verse 24 and 25, you see this. God, please show us which one you have chosen. It is okay, it is very okay for us to look up to heaven and say, God, if I'm the one chosen for this, please show me how to do it. Lord, if you want me to do this, please make it clear. I mean, you, there's many examples I could give you with Kathy and I where we would pray for things and we would say, God, do you really want us to do this? You have to make it clear. And then something clear out of the blue comes into us and says, oh, by the way, Bill, you have to go do this. Oh, man. I want to go fishing. I don't get to do that all the time either. But the scripture did tells us what they did was they drew, they did the only way that they knew decision. They trusted God in such a manner they said, okay, God, here it is. This many times is the same as in the Old Testament. Does anybody know what a fleece is? Remember, God would they would these these men and women would take out a piece of cloth and put it on the ground and say, Okay, God, if you really want me to do this, then even though it's dry out here in the desert, there's no rain or anything, make that wet and all the ground dry around it. Goes to sleep, gets up the next morning, fleece is wet, dry all the way around it. <laughs> in typical human form, what does he do next? Okay, God, if it's really you, 
Now I want you to make the ground wet and make the fleece dry. He goes to sleep, comes back. Sure enough, the ground is wet, the fleece is dry. Do you think God's trying to get his attention? How many times have we all put something in front of God and said, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this. Or I tell you what, God, if it's really you, do this and then I'll do this. And then all of a sudden, all those things happen and get into place. Well, I still think it's just me thinking that that's what I want to do. It's not really God. No, folks, if you start testing God in things, he's expecting you to follow through when he proves himself. Amen? Oh, that's a light. Amen. What happened? Amen. Amen. Thank you. God is still working in every single one of you. He's not going to let you go until you understand your job. And your job could be something as simple as calling a friend to say, hey, how are you doing? God brought you to my mind and I want to know if you're okay. And they begin to cry and weep and say, I can't believe you're calling me right now. I can't believe that God picked me for you to call. Because the whole point is that God has every one of us, <clears throat> excuse me, in his hand. He has every one of us in his mind and he created you for a specific purpose. And no single two people have the same purpose. We cannot all be the same way and do the same thing. You know, as much as I would love to play this instrument, guys, I play a lot of instruments. I can't play this one. I don't know why. And then my brother Josh walks up and just... But that's okay. Josh was called to do that. I was not. When we get to the point where we realize we have a special calling from the Lord, he's going to answer us. He's going to let you know, hey, all I want you to do is send a card and encouragement to somebody. Call somebody. Say hello. Now, if it is bigger and he wants you to start a ministry, if he wants you to do something bigger than yourself, then guess what? He's not going to let go until you do it. Just making it clear. You know, that reckless, relentless love of God thing? Yeah, that also happens in the calling of what he needs you to do. It doesn't, it doesn't go away because we say, that's okay, God, I know it's not you talking to me. All that means is that, hey, God... I need to get your attention. You need to get my attention louder. Folks, that didn't do so good for a guy named Jonah. You know what I'm saying? He said to God, you know what? Um, you need me to go east to Nineveh? No, I think you're really calling me to the west over here. I'm going to go this way. On a boat in the water with great big fish. Storms raged. The men said, who's the problem? Throw him overboard. He gets in a fish. He winds up where? On the coast of Nineveh. We have to understand, God will do what he, if he has a specific job and a position and something for us to do, big or small, <laughs> it would be better if you just did it at the beginning. Because once you do it at the beginning, all of the prayers, all of the stuff, there's a peace that comes over you that, that's more than I can even tell you about. You see, Jesus prepped his apostles and disciples for something very extraordinary in those three years that he was with them. 
And he does not notice how, how when he's going away, he, the, the things he says to him as he's going up in the clouds, he says to them, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He gives them first step, you got to get the power. Second step, then you will be my witnesses. So he doesn't, he does not at the beginning tell them to just go and tell people without giving them what they need to accomplish the task. Amen? He lets them know that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and this task at hand is to take the message of a risen Savior who takes away the sins of the world, the, all of the human race, all around the world, so that all of humanity can spend eternity in heaven with their Creator. And in their process, even giving the human race he created free will to choose if they want to accept that plan. See, nobody has to. God didn't make us robots and force us. We all have free will. So here's my final thoughts, and they're in your bulletin there. I shared them with you. Jesus prepped the apostles for something extraordinary. I just want to say on each one of these, Please apply them. Did he, is he prepping you for something? I mean, it may not happen right now or this week or this week, but J Jesus may be prepping you for something. They responded with obedience in one accord as they gathered together. He, they didn't have to be Lone Ranger Christians. God let them know it's okay to do fellowship together, to find. And then see, as a complete group, they prayed with expectation, expectation of God's will. They were expecting God to do something. Two questions. Are you listening for God with, and praying without ceasing? We can't hear him if we're not listening for him to talk to us. And in that praying, are you expecting his will to be done? Because if you pray and in the, <laughs> in the end, we're going to talk about one magic word. Do you understand how to be in one accord with your Christian brothers and sisters? You don't have to do this by yourself. Call on your brothers and sisters to be with you. And then here's my closing thought. The key to everything we've talked about today, the key to everything that's going on with when Jesus talks to you and plans and makes plans for you or, or you get an inkling that something is needed and you know that you have to do it, Everything we have seen in Scripture comes down to one magic word, and you can write this on your paper. Those that are in my Monday Night Life group know what this one magic word is. It's surrender. When we give up everything to God, let Him be our guide. Listen for the Holy Spirit leading. Then, and only then, will we be able to accomplish extraordinary things for his kingdom. Amen. Amen. I'm ask the band to come on up. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there are times when you ask us to do things that frankly scare us. There are times when you ask us to do things that we know we can't do. So, Lord, I would ask this for all of your children who are in this room. Anyone here who needs to know that 
there is one special thing you would want for them. May they never pray, stop praying without ceasing to hear your voice. If there's anyone in this room, Lord, who doesn't know what it means to have a relationship personally with Jesus Christ, may they not leave this day without finding who he is. Accepting, accepting him as Lord and Savior, taking him into their heart and soul and life so that they can hear what it's like and feel and know what it is like to have the creator of the world guiding your steps and protecting your heart and your mind. Jesus, we love you. And we are so amazed that you are so reckless and relentless in your search for us. May we walk in your path. May we hear your voice. And above all else, Lord, may we reach out to others and let them know who you really are. And we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'll be up here. Pastor Jeff will be up here. He'll be in the back maybe. And if you want to come up and pray, please feel free to do so. I'll be here. If there's more, then I'm going to ask some of the elders, D, a couple others to be up with me if, if needed. Please feel free to come and, be, and have prayer with me, prayer with the whoever. But most of all, understand and know how much Jesus loves you. He died on that cross just so you could spend eternity with him in heaven. I love you all and thank you for letting me share today. Let's worship together.
Amen. Thank you, Brad. Hey, just remember, there's a VBS meeting across the street for all those interested in, in answering the call of God to be a part of that ministry. <laughs> Amazing how that worked. Thank you guys for being here. God bless you all. May you be blessed this day and this week. We'll see you all next week again for his word. <laughs>